Hello and welcome to the Sky U Podcast by the Daily Gopher. I'm Chris, Go Away You Fur. With me this week is Blake, Iowa Gopher. Happy to be here as always. And you street. Hey y'all. Alright, so we were kicking around, what exactly do we want to talk about on today's Sky U Podcast? It's not like there's been a ton of news. You know, Gophers have had some practices. Nothing big has happened since Zach Anikstead went down. Everyone knock on wood that I didn't just, you know, drinks our season. And we were just feeling a little unsure about where to go. And then we started talking about what the Gophers were going to do with left tackle. Obviously, they've announced that Sam Schluter will be the starting tackle opposite Daniel Falele. And it's kind of hard for us to feel super confident about Sam Schluter because, well, he kind of struggled last year. Here's hoping he does a lot better. But then it dawned on us. Let's not do the negative Minnesota thing. Let's not sit here and talk about all the ways that decision or any other decision could lead to disappointment and heartbreak. Let's go wild homer take. And that is the focus of today. We are going to do nothing but wildly optimistic takes on the upcoming Minnesota season. And hopefully all of them will prove true. Because if they do, we're going to be pretty happy. So let's just start out with the wildly homer take uh, edition of the Minnesota offense. And Blake, I'm just going to kick it to you to start. What are your absolutely outrageous, absurd, super not likely to come true, but completely optimistic takes about the offense this year. I think the Gophers will have 2,000-yard receivers for the first time since I have no idea when. That's probably ever. If we're honest, that's probably ever. I mean, I think they've, I mean, they've got the guys to do it. I think Tyler Johnson and Rashad Babin are both 1,000-yard receiver caliber like players. Um, whether they'll have the opportunity to do that with this offense, with Tanner Morgan under center, or just the type of matchups they're going to get in the Big Ten – um, that remains to be seen, but I, I think if they can get the passing game cranking this year, it's definitely in the realm of possibilities. I mean, that's definitely keeping in 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 line with the optimistic takes. I guess my optimistic take would be we get the back to the two thousand yard rushers. I'm I'm trying to go a little more like <laughs> traditionally Minnesota with my homer take. Uh, I, I certainly feel like you know just like you said, there's enough talent. That's the God, it is really easy to get a full homer about the offense. Like, even with the questions at quarterback, like, there's a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball. I, I say the only thing that gives me pause about, like, two, you know, 1,000-yard rushers and, you know, getting back to the grounded pound offense is just, like, the, the health of Rodney Smith and Shannon Brooks. You know, I know we're supposed to be optimistic, but I just can't make that leap yet, not knowing, like, what, what kind of production we're going to get from them um, this season. But, I mean, it's it's certainly possible if – if, we have three healthy running backs, you know, or Ibrahim, Smith, and Brooks for the whole season. I mean, that's just going to be wild. I would like to note that not only has Minnesota never had two thousand-yard wide receivers in a single season in the history of the program, there have only been five receivers who had one thousand or more yards in a single season. So two with a thousand yards would be crazy. That would be an acceptably wildly Homer optimistic it w- take. It would be a lot. You may have stepped a little far onto the limb. The funny thing is that was actually going to be my optimistic Homer take. <laughs> See, I'm not alone. I, I actually, I think that the offense, there is a lot of reason to be excited about the 
running backs and I think having the offensive line being a little more solidified especially the right side of the line I'm very bullish on the IMG Academy right side of the line means that there's probably a decent aspect of running but Rashad Bateman is phenomenally good Tyler Johnson is phenomenally good and Tanner Morgan is okay and honestly, that's really kind of all you need to set a whole lot of uh, receiving. Now, I don't think they're going to be like Texas Tech anytime soon, but I think that's one very optimistic homer take you do. My optimistic homer take is that Brevin Span Ford is going to lead the team in touchdown receptions. Okay. I mean, that's an interesting direction. Because I think he's going to get a lots of vultures. Well, I thought you were just going to sell out and, and go full, uh, you know, Tanner Morgan will throw for 4,000 yards or something. But If Tanner Morgan throws for 4,000 yards, we're no longer in the wildly homer take offense. We're in, like, Kirk Sharaka magically became Cliff Kingsbury. Which, like, a lot of people might appreciate. I'm here for that, seriously. Do, do we think Seth Green will lead the team in touchdowns again? No, I think Brevin Span Ford is going to lead the team in touchdowns. In touchdowns that's over, my wildly, overall? Yeah, that's my wildly optimistic conversation. I think everyone else is going to vulture each other. Okay. So in, the, in short yardage situations, and I've been, to be clear, I've been bullish on Brevin Span Ford since he was recruited. Like I think you have the exact kind of player that you need to be a phenomenal tight end in the Big Ten, but also just to be a really nightmarish wide receiver matchup dude's six seven he's apparently 270 now hasn't lost any steps was a really good basketball player in high school got a really good vertical so you've got a freak level athlete who's quick and can catch and if we recall back in the day a newly minnesota vikings player nate wozniak we were all really excited about the possibility of nate wozniak because he was you know a thousand feet tall or as we call it around the blog chris <laughs> I am kind of tall. That, that that was going to be great. Like, look at all the mismatches. And then we found out that Nate Wozniak and catching footballs were locked in a sort of mortal war with That's each other. That's also why we call it being Chris. Also, Yeah, also Chris. Brevin Spamford can catch. And so one of the things that I think what my wildly optimistic commentary is going to happen a lot is that the Gophers can march it down the field with the intermediate passing game and the running game, and they'll get into the sort of 10 yards and in touchdown place and at that sort of part of the field, and that is where I think Brevin Spanford will come into his own. So that's my wildly, wildly optimistic homer take. I'm going to laugh when Jake Paulson leads all tight ends in touchdowns. <laughs> I'd be fine with that too, as long as that number is double digits. Are we also to assume then that you would say that Brevin Spanford is your wildly homer take player? Like you'll have some, like that's the breakout player for you? No, the breakout player I think is Mo uh, Ibrahim. He already broke out. Well, that's the thing. Here's why. Here's why I actually think this is a justifiably wildly optimistic homer take, uh, and not just because I'm being all hipster and being like, "Nah, I've got a different person for this," like a deep cut. Everyone's saying that the dude broke out, and everyone's putting him as their third string running back, and that to me is bananas. I'm not putting him as the third string running back. I think he's the starter. He's the one I have most confidence in. So the 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 general consensus, apparently not from us on the podcast, because we're obviously brilliant. But it seems to be that Roddy Smith will be the starting running back. He'll be running back 1A. 
And supposedly Shannon Brooks will come in whenever he's healthy and take over running back run B. And then Ibrahim's going to spell them. And that to me is very strange because when I watched him run, keep in mind, you got a thousand yards in what, like seven real games last year? Yeah. I uh, think that's right. I don't yeah, know. No, Whatever did. it is, it's not. It wasn't a full twelve. He missed. Play, I mean, so. he missed three games. So, but he didn't. But he wasn't also playing like extensively in the games that until he became the starter. He was a starter for what about seven games? I think so. Yes. Yeah, uh, and I'm not just saying that because I said seven games before. Was, honestly, I can't remember. <laughs> but it wasn't. It wasn't double digits. <laughs> is the key point. Dude is dude is a really good running back. He's like a David Cobb esque running back, which is so perfect for this offense. He can. He's blocking got better. I think there's a good chance that he may be able to get some stuff out of the backfield if his hands have gotten any better. He's really good at running downhill, north and south. He's got a low center of gravity, so it's hard to take him down. That's a really talented running back, and I feel like he's being slept on. So he is my he is my wildly homer player is that by the end of the season, he is cemented as the first string running back, even with the uh, other slate of very good running backs on this team. And I, I think Rodney Smith is great, but I, I, my wife, I'm being wildly Homer optimistic take. That's the wildly Homer one. All right, Chris, who do you got for Homer player? Oh God. Um, am I allowed to just say Daniel Falele gets all the pancake blocks? Cause I'd like to see him get all the pancake blocks. I mean, that's, I mean, you just did. So yes. Yeah, that's fair. Then I want to see all the pancake blocks. So my uh, wildly Homer, uh, take is, not only does he get all the pancake blocks, but he wins the Piesman. That would be awesome. I really that's that's definitely a homer take. So just a, just a quick recap for uh, anybody who's not like deep into the make believe uh, awards side of things. The Piesman is SB Nation's award for the lineman, offensive or defensive, who scores the best touchdown of the season. So basically, best fat guy touchdown. Uh, and I think it's quite possible that he, he wins that award. So I'm I'm here for pancake blocks and fat guy touchdowns. How about you, Blake? I'm going to go Tanner Morgan. I think he's he's the clear starter, and I think he takes it and runs with it this year and uh, takes a big leap from freshman to sophomore year, and I think he does well. And then he's got the talent around him. He's got a great wide receiver coring. The offensive line will be strong, especially if Schluter – has improved at all in pass protection this year. I think he's the. It's all set up for him to have a big year if he can take advantage. I think he does. Four thousand yard big or. I wouldn't go that far. I probably three thousand, <laughs> three thousand maybe. Sure. Yeah. Let's just throw. There's an extra thousand in, in receptions out there somewhere. I mean, I'm briefly running through the math of what we've come to if we sum our homer take possibilities. He has to throw for at least 2,000 yards to two players, but he also is going to have to throw for at least a couple hundred to some other people. Chris Bell's got to get some receptions in there. we got obviously Brevin Spanford, Jake Paulson. There's plenty to go around. Demetrius Douglas, uh, who might feature uh, a nom in his four games. You're forgetting about the uh, tackle-eligible Daniel Falele. That's true. Uh, Clay Geary, Seth Green, there, like, there are a lot of people. So he's going to throw for much. But also, Ibrahim's going to get himself 1,000 yards. Potentially, Rodney Smith is also going to get 1,000 yards. This offense is apparently never leaving the field. No. So we've basically moved them up to, like, what was the most productive offense in recent NFL history? 
in NFL history, probably the Patriots when they almost went went undefeated. Yeah, so we're basically them now. Great. Everyone, you've heard it here first. This is the Patriots, only without, you know, the Kirk Ferentz asshole head coach. I'll take it. I mean, with with it with if we're being uncharitable, the Josh McDaniels head coach. That's cold. No, you retract that right now. I'm not. Take no, that, I'm, I'm not take saying, it back. I'm not saying. But if if we're if we're doing like it's like the Patriots, there is a Josh McDaniels analog on the University of Minnesota sidelines. I don't like this comparison anymore. Take it back. We're we're now we're the Saints or something. I don't know. Defense. We're going to defense before I have to hate myself for thinking of the Patriots out loud. Uh, Street, what's your wild homer take for the defense? They don't suck. That's not wild enough. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, as a wild homer take, someone other than Carter Coughlin will have at least six sacks. Boy, Moffat. Or Teon Devers. That'd be, that'd be yeah, I don't really care who. Just someone other than Carter Coughlin will have at least six sacks. I think the pass rush is going to be a lot better. I think Joe Rossi has shown a lot of things. We're obviously wildly homer optimistic about his transformation of the defense. I think that's going to continue. But one of the consistent problems that the defense had last year is that other than Carter Coughlin, they could not generate a sufficient and successful pass rush. This mattered a lot because the secondary was beset by injuries and depth problems. And it doesn't matter. You could be... At the college level, you could be Alabama or LSU good in the secondary. It does not matter if the opposing quarterback has five or six seconds to throw every single time. You're still going to get burned. This season, there, I think, are some open questions about the secondary just because the players who are coming back were either coming back from injury or still a little bit raw or a little bit new. I'm more bullish on the secondary than I think some other people are. But that secondary needs a lot of help, and it's got to come from the front four or the front three, depending on how Rossi chooses to regularly line up. So my wildly homer optimistic take, as Blake said, is either Boy Mafe, Teon Devers, or a player to be named later, who is not Carter Coughlin, has at least six sacks. Okay. Uh, Blake, how about you? Big homer take uh, for the defense. This one's, this one's huge. Um, if you guys weren't already sitting down, I'd say sit down. Um, Antoine Winfield plays in at least 12 games this season <laughs> and and I hope so and records double digit tackles against maryland and and a pick six that's my home that team. is wildly home you could have just said finishes a complete game against maryland and plays the next week what the if you remember the weird thing is his freshman season he played against maryland and he had a pick six in that game and the two games the two maryland games after that he's been injured i think they've had it out for him and to break the cycle, he's got to get another pick six against Maryland, and the curse is broken. That's what's got to happen. So it's going to happen. He's going to finish out the season not missing any time due to injury. That That's my homer take. Antoine Whitfield, come on down. I'm actually struggling for a homer take on the defense, if I'm, if I'm honest. Is it because you can't actually name a defensive player? Winston De La Tubudieri? Who's great, by the way? I not just I think I think he has a chance for a good senior season. Also, seems to be doing a lot of really great stuff in the community. Shout out to him. Winston's awesome. My problem is that 
I'm not feeling especially homer about the defense for some reason. I just realized in this moment. Chris, this is the homer pod. This is the homer podcast. I, you know, I'm working on it, and I actually, I, your 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 joyous optimism has come through the phone lines. I am I am here for it now. I have decided that for some reason Nebraska is allowed to bring their dumbass black shirt jerseys on the road with them. They choose to wear them. Wait, that doesn't make any sense. That'd be the offense. Oh God, I am really struggling. I was going to say they get their rung up, but that would be an offensive. I mean, the way the way that you would make that work, just for logical consistency, is they bring their. Did you say dumb ass jerseys? Yeah, I don't think those are cool at yeah, all. Yeah, they bring their quote dumb ass jerseys, which are the supposed black shirts, uh, to Minnesota, and the University of Minnesota offense runs all over their defense. But to make it logically consistent. The gopher defense acts like the black shirts of old, minus, you know, the horrible violence off the field and steroids, to the Nebraska offense. Yeah, that feels unsatisfying somehow, mostly because I screwed up the whole, like, thing we were going for. Uh, So I'm going to say a defensive tackle of some sort finishes with, more tackles for loss than any defensive tackle in Minnesota history. I haven't decided which of our, like, we're not sure on them defensive tackles would do that. But defensive tackle to be named later, all-time tackle for loss leader in Minnesota history. There you go. That would be really great since I think most of them are going to be like a three-tag or taking multiple blocks. So to act to open up gaps for the linebackers. That might change, of course. But... A lot of the a lot of the ways that the defense has interacted in in the past, especially the defensive tackle position, is a control position for the offensive line. So if they could get pressure, that would be great. Thank you for pointing out that I don't know how to watch film for defensive tackles. I mean, it's entirely possible that I accidentally said the wrong technique for our tackles. So like, <laughs> let's not let's not get ahead of ourselves. I mean, mostly it's that OJ's you know OJ Smith last year when he was in, tend to be really successful at this and that they just ate up yeah, the offensive line. And while it was true that there were strengths and weaknesses to that, when the defense was playing really well, especially after Rossi returned, the defensive tackles would do a really great job in just destroying blocks and thus opening up lots of gaps for the linebackers to run ragged in the back. You know, let's be clear, and I know we're staying on the optimistic side, but I will note, the problem was not that the defensive tackles couldn't eat blocks. It was that the linebackers were wildly out of position or on skates the whole whole damn time so i there were there were as i said strengths and weaknesses to the rob smith version of that defense (laughs) all right so wildly optimistic homer take the defense is not coached by rob smith congratulations all right we need a wildly homer player for the defensive side uh i'm going to turn to you blake for your wildly homer player i'm going to go with kamal martin just because i think um a lot's going to be asked of him this year, and he's kind of been a guy that's been under the radar since he's been here. He's had some big moments, some good plays. Um, they just had a quiet reputation overall, um, and he's going to be relied upon to step in for Blake Cashman a lot this year. Um, and I really think he goes out with a bang as a senior. And uh, I don't think he's going to be quite to the levels that Blake Cashman was, but I think he's going to be a really good linebacker and set the tone for the rest of the linebacker court, which is a pretty young unit, so... Street, how about you? That's a good question. I would also have been happy to say, come on, Martin, I think he's going to have a good senior season. But 
to be unique, I will say Benny Sapp will be the breakout defender. Antoine Winfield obviously is going to be the major component in the secondary. I think Jordan Howden will be the other safety across from him but from a depth reason and at least in terms of sheer talent Benny Sapp before he started never having functioning knees was getting heavily recruited by lots of top schools as a sophomore in high school I think the talent is still there I believe that if he is able to be healthy for a full year the Gophers will very much consider that a steal I'm going to do what's called pulling a Blake and pick a player who's already broken out but will have such a uh, momentous, powerful impact uh, as to, you know, merit Homer take level. Uh, Is Carter pulling Coughlin... a Blake because you've forgotten that I am the person who said that on offense? I swear to God, if you're picking Carter Coughlin as your breakout Homer player, you're, <laughs> you are going to be ejected from this podcast. Carter Coughlin goes full ham and cements like top 10 first round draft pick status. That is, I mean, that is a wily homer take. There's also no way Boom. that's happening. But, and I hope he has a really great season. But I, I nah, bro. Full ham, full ham. You heard it. I be, be pretty sweet. You can't eject me now because now, the, now we have to wait for this to come true. It will not. <laughs> I mean, in order, let's see. In order, I guess, I guess here's a reasonable question: What would it take in order for Carter Coughlin to be a top ten pick? Twenty five. Obviously, twenty five sacks. Yeah, he'd have to be like close to at least at what at least twenty. Plus, plus ball a hell of a combine skills. day. Plus right? a hell of a combine day, probably. So like Clay, I mean Clay Matthews esque, but NFL Clay Matthews. Yes, I'd be it's okay done. with that if it's he wants done. to do it's it at the done. college level. He'll get seventeen of those sacks versus Iowa. <laughs> I would love that. Uh, not, not, not Nate Stanley. Nate Stanley will have no functioning limbs by the end of it. He will be the Black Knight right. from Monty Python. Chris clearly thanks to Carter. Cullen. Chris clearly knows how to win me over to his side because just the thought of that. <laughs> uh, yes, please. Uh, all right, special teams. Wild Homer take. Blake, you go. Uh, the punter doesn't have to come out all year. I like it. Street. <laughs> They have a functioning field goal kicker, which given how the kicking competition appears to be shaping up over the last year is at the moment a wildly optimistic homer take. Uh, I feel like we're sliding back into negative town. Uh, so I'm going to go with the field goal kicker to be named later. Uh, goes out and sets a school record for uh, percentage and makes. Okay, that's fair. Do we have wildly homer players for special teams? I honestly cannot tell you a single player who is the punter or the kicker. Jacob Herbers is the punter. I think kicking, it's between Brock Walker and uh, I can't remember it. The name has escaped me. I don't think it's Grant Ryers. I don't think he's the other one. Michael Tarbett, I don't think, was getting much attention. Um, yeah, I just can't. The name escapes me right now. Well, Herbers can't count as a breakout player because he did that last season. No, no, no. I have a way. Demetrius Douglas (laughs) did quite well in the special team and sort of punt kick return. I think he'll have another good season. But, yeah, my breakout individual player is the field goal kicker who is apparently not bad that will materialize. Here is how that works for Herbers. You may recall our blog has a love affair with punters. 
Uh, most importantly, we like to have a love affair with punters who are willing to do punting celebrations. Uh, I believe the majority of my punting celebration gifts for Peter Mortel all came from a game against Penn State at home. So, my bold prediction is uh, Jacob Herbers downs all of his punts inside the five against uh, Penn State and delivers just an absolute walk-off, gift-worthy moment, forcing me to return to my gift-making ways. Just so we're clear, your breakout special teams player of the year is yourself for making gifts of them. No, they have to do awesome things first. Then I get to have fun. All right, all right, all right. Oh, by the way, Michael Lance, the freshman from Georgia, I think he it's him between him and Brock Walker for kicker, for the record. The name finally came back to me. It's a bummer because Tarbud is unquestionably the best name of all of them. To be clear, it came back to you is I went to the Googles. Uh, you can't see me right now, so there's no evidence that I did that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to confess to that. I'm just checking. Uh, let's 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 get some wildly homer schedule predictions, which uh, unfortunately for me seems to match much too closely to my actual schedule predictions because I somehow have talked myself into Happy Town Street. What's your well? How, you, wait, you're not allowed to have a wildly homer. Wait, no, believe that I have to abstain from this question as this year, like every year, I predict them to win every single game they play. Yeah, okay, so uh, your wildly homer prediction is they win every game, but one of them is played on the moon. Blake? <laughs> uh, I mean, obviously 12-0 is the pinnacle homer take. Um, I just, they haven't, one of the, the last time they won 10 games was, well, like 2003. I think to me that's that's the homer take is they win 10-11 games and win the Big Ten West. That's To me, that's that's prediction. My big homer prediction would be that they finally win at Kinnick and Iowa City for the first time in, like, 12 years is it possible this year with the schedule that the gophers can hold every single trophy the governor's bell of course does not count if they play uh michigan in the title game so there there i think is a reasonably wildly homer take for you given your 10 wins that the gophers at the end of the season hold every single trophy that they play for honestly that would be awesome that i i think if I, I'm in favor of the jug being on the line in the title game if they didn't play in the regular season. Because I, I think that it, what, what happened in the regular season happens in the regular season, the title game is worth the title game. But if they haven't played already, you give them the, the championship t- championship trophy or the and the jug. So that would be awesome. I'd love to see that. All right, honest talk. Not, not Homer talk for this one thing, but honest talk. Would you rather have... Minnesota win the Big Ten title game if it meant they went to the college football playoff to get smoked by Alabama? Or would you rather have them lose it so they could go to the Rose Bowl? Lose it, if I'm being honest. Lose it. All right, if those are if those are the two options? Yeah. I mean, Rose Bowl, I suppose, to get rid of that particular you know, long title – in terms of the program's future, uh, get smoked against Alabama because you made it to the playoff. <sighs> Stop being so rational. I did ask for real talk. But... I gave you. I mean, I gave you the real talk. I mean, in terms, if for me personally, I would much prefer the Rose Bowl. That is a relatively short trip. Absolute homer take. We go to the Rose Bowl and win. There. We, That's my homer. There take. we go, man. That's good. I'll take that. 
Which is the national championship bowl this year? It's uh, a good question. I have no idea. I don't worry about such things when I'm a Gopher fan. Wait, did the, see? Because this is how little I care about the college football playoffs, since Minnesota's really not like in it. Did they are are they still using one of the existing bowl sites, or did they start moving into the hosting randomly thing? I don't remember. Yeah, we can't be concerned with such things. I mean, it's re- it really doesn't apply to us, so I've just never bothered to worry about it. That's more of an Ohio State nonsense I was, thing. I was going to say, when I was recently looking at like what other, the, what other sites do for like weekly stuff, Clemson had like a playoff uh, preview in like week one. I was like, oh, that must be kind of cool to look at. <laughs> it must be nice to have dreams. <laughs> we got the Big Ten. We got the folks in the Big Ten, guys. Big Ten West, we got this. Homer take. Uh, all right. Well... We have uh, a question time this week, but before we do, we need to hear a little something from our sponsors. Question time, question time, question time has returned. This week we have an important uh, wedding season related question. Uh, Technically this is to, it's in reference to a fall wedding, which I personally am not a fan of, but I think it's important that everyone who's enjoying their wedding have the opportunity to do so in the most fun way possible. And those who are attending should be able to bring them cool gifts. But what happens when you are unable to attend a wedding? Far away, it doesn't work timing-wise because you need to see Minnesota play South Dakota State. Uh, Whatever it is. I think the question that came up kind of in our pregame planning here was, what is the appropriate gift or dollar amount to give to somebody that you are super excited to be at the wedding, but you can't make it for some reason? And Blake, I'm interested to hear uh, hear your take on that. Um, the I would say um, I was told that the etiquette, um, if you're giving money, is to like at least pay back the cost of um, what your what your plate would have been, or like your cost of your dinner. Um, and again, I'm not sure how much that would be, honestly. <laughs> Even though I, you know, got married like four years ago, you'd think I'd remember that stuff, but I do not. Um, I used- what was your food at your wedding? The, the type of food I think we had a choice between like chicken or pork. I'm pretty sure. Did you have an open bar? Uh, we had like three or four kegs. That we that counts. That we you are for. yeah that that, that counts. yeah you no no wrath from me. You you are a good person still. No yeah we we knew we were gonna need some some alcohol flowing and they we they worked their way through it pretty well. So, um, but as far as gifts, yeah, I don't. It's. Money account, whatever you're comfortable with. It depends on people's budgets too. Um, whatever you feel comfortable giving. I usually give between like twenty five and thirty. Um, if I'm not gonna buy something off the registry. Um and I'm I'm the guy that goes to the registry and looks for the most obscure item, not necessarily the cheapest, just like the weirdest one. Um, that I can leave like a note to. Like I um a cousin of mine just got married and I got a, they registered for a flashlight. Um, and so I bought that and then put on the card, I hope this guides you through the darkest days of your marriage. That's both sweet and also I think you purchased the cheapest gift. Actually, it was fairly expensive. The flashlight was. It was, like, it was a very like heavy-duty flashlight. Did it also have GPS or something? Possibly. I don't know. It was a very large uh, flashlight. It seemed like you know, 21st century capabilities. I, I mean, 
you can put them on your head now. They weigh an ounce, and they go for two football fields. I don't think size is really necessarily 24th century. All right, Chris. Keep okay. telling yourself that, yeah, buddy. The, Keep telling yourself that. Yeah, the, it's easy for you to say that, Mr. What, 6'10 over there. You know, size doesn't matter. It's okay. <laughs> Not all of us are our own personal lighthouses, Chris. <laughs> all right. Uh, I, I do have a story of the greatest wedding gift I, I got. Because, like, the morning after, like... We did the gift opening the morning after, and this is Gover football related. I will say that um, we, we opened up gifts the morning after at the hotel, and it's like, like obviously you haven't slept very much. And it's just like you know the stuff that you registered for. Um, and as I'm opening up one, it's from one of my groomsmen who happens to work at um, University of Michigan. He works in the athletic department there, and I open it up, and then I had just gone. This was just after Minnesota had reclaimed the jug, um, and I was at the game. He got me tickets, and so I open it up. It's the replica. Uh, trophy of the Little Brown Jug, and we like I had no idea that that's what I was getting, and like it was just like I was totally taken by surprise because you know you go like you know like towels and other house items, and all of a sudden you open up and it's the Little Brown Jug, and I was like, holy shit, this is like the coolest wedding gift we could have possibly gotten. Okay, that is pretty awesome. What did your spouse think of that particular wedding gift? Uh, she was happy for me. She thought it was really cool, but then she's then she realized I was I had totally lost interest in everything else at the table. <laughs> so gotta take the good with the bad sounds like christmas when you when you have that gift from uh the one like extended family member who always spends too much and your parents have to hide it till last because if you get a hold of it first nothing else is gonna matter that, that's yeah that was exactly the situation uh street what do you think you should send well this is uh, to to be clear i am the person who who raised this because Thanks to the United States Postal Service, I received an invitation to a wedding that I would have loved to attend approximately three weeks before the wedding occurred, and the wedding is on a different coast than I am, so I will not be able to attend. So I'm looking at the registry, and I, of course, understand the notion that you don't actually have to get anything, but that's, like, true in general, and therefore not fun. So our discussion in some sense presumes that you would like to purchase a gift or give money. Uh, right now, I'm looking at this uh, Le Creuset gravy boat, which seems uh, kind of nice. But I here's the thing that, I, uh, that I'm a little confused by. So one of the magic of new technology is that you the people who are getting married, that they can have their wedding registry, and they can also tell you, depending on the site, that like, we really want this. So their most wanted gifts are very much in my price range, but they're also towels. And it feels a little bit impersonal. To be like, hey, can't come to your wedding. Here's a thing for when you're gross. Hope you have a hope you have a really good marriage. Why do you assume they have to be gross? Perhaps they're ultra cleanly and they take seven showers a day, so they're always clean when they take a shower. All right, here's the thing to like feed into your weird OCD. <laughs> Solely over over cleanly showering. I hope you don't do this to your kids because otherwise they're going to grow up very sick. Now I, I so I'm thinking I'm thinking of having something that is like hopefully I think hopefully something obviously they want so obviously don't go rogue and be like hey I saw these like fun matching overalls at a thrift store and that's what I'm going to send you I don't ever send an obligation but I think from from the outside thing my view is that I I should be spending as much money as I would have spent on the actual gift should I come, plus some percentage, because I'm no longer having to spend the money to go to the wedding. 
That's my view. That seems pretty reasonable. I'm I'm of the opinion that you just send you, you it's okay to send the money and just write a really nice card and then point out that you want them to be able to buy the thing they didn't get or spend it on the foolish experience or whatever like I mean gift registries are nice but nobody's going to turn down cash either like I'm, I'm a huge list person. I come from a list family. I think you can break the world in terms of like gift receiving into two kinds of people. They're the kinds of people who like lists and the kinds of people who don't like lists. And it's not like this is some, I don't know, like war in Northern Ireland thing. Like You can easily intermesh these two people and they'll get along just fine. But I do think that if you know that you're dealing with a list person and you go off list, you got to be really, really solid that you got something good and conversely like as a list person who's been told for years that i'm really poor at receiving gifts because like if you got me something off my list i'm obviously already excited about that because it's something i really wanted that's why i put it down so i don't necessarily give the appropriate level of happiness and emotion when i open the thing because in some sense you know i kind of want it and i already expected it Uh, so i'm a big list person which is why cash feels not that it feels impersonal because that's not what i think but it does feel a little bit like I'm going to give you another errand as opposed to like, here's something that you already asked for and I'm going to solve, I'm going to be the middleman for that transaction. But that's why you like write a really nice card. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Like if you just throw it in a card, like you're a sociopath, but you know, if you write some meaningful, like heartfelt words with it, then you're the super kind person who wanted to give them the world in any form they wished. Very true. Also, important wedding related question. I'm going uh, to see uh, to to be in a, not not be in as in stand in, but be present for a wedding overseas uh, in January that I'm super excited about. Do I splurge on the uh, business class, even though I have no money with which to splurge on the business class, knowing that I might actually function as a human being afterwards? Where's the wedding? Or do I just India. Oh shit. Oh, that that's a bit of a different question then. I was going to say Europe the answer is an obvious no. No. No, you stay awake, you deal with your jet lag and you suffer. But this is a 15-hour flight from JFK. How much how much can you not afford it? My credit card company will love me. I won't love my credit card bill. That's a tough one. I I think, and and part of this is because, you know, you're the size of the Empire State Building, is that having a 15-hour plane ride, there is also sort of extended problems of just sitting in that seat. I think, I don't know if it's worth business class necessarily, but it might be worth, like, economy comfort or whatever it is for the legroom. See, here's the problem. I only fly economy comfort. So what economy comfort is on these flights is the same legroom I or worse than I get on my way to Minneapolis, but 13 more hours on the plane. Gee, that's, that's, a, that's a tough one. Um, yeah, <laughs> I haven't figured that one out yet. But I'm still super excited to go. Like This is like the epitome of of a first world problem. I have a very good friend. My very good friend is marrying somebody he loves. It's in a cool place I've never been, and I can make it there. 
I just have to decide how much I want to suffer for 15 hours on a plane. It's it's really the epitome of a first. You know what? Well, should... let's throw this let's throw this to our audience who's who's been listening to our podcast. Tweet at us at the Daily Gopher or at Chris Hockfeld uh, or whatever. Go a for what is your Twitter handle now? At go a for at go a for or the Daily Gopher or of course leave us a comment on the Daily Gopher as to whether or not Chris should splurge for that upgrade. I like it. I think that's a that's a good way to end it. Let's crowdsource the decision for the my future deep th- deep vein thrombosis. Uh, and on that, go Gophers, Sky Yuma, row the boat. <laughs>